Hi there. Yeah, I can see you. I can hear you. Look at us. 70 degrees on a October Saturday evening, and here we are at church. Man, that's awesome to be beautiful weather churchgoers. Carrie's going to go around after the service and hand out gold stars. Beyond that, I don't know what the benefit will be. <laughs> well, you know, before anything else, let's just uh, cue in on why we're here, our priority. Uh, I'm going to pray. I would appreciate if you join me. God, we are here to find out more about you, to worship you, to align our minds with you and your purposes for our lives and for this world. Spirit, I ask that you would speak that truth into us. We trust you to give us what we need. That's why we're here. Amen. So I want to start with a question. Why is the Bible such a crucial piece of Christianity? Right? It's one of the cornerstones of our faith. But why is a book that was written 3,500 years ago up to 1,000 years ago so important and so applicable to our lives today. You ever taken time to think about that? You know, there's books and books that I can recommend that kind of unpack why it is so good. But I feel like the answer to this question of why and how it can apply to our lives is simpler than we might think. You know, there are fundamental principles and philosophies that the Bible teaches that can be applied to our world today. And a lot of people look at the Bible as just this guide to help us through because there's good things in there. But the main reason the Bible is applicable to our lives is because the God of the Bible is unchanging. His nature does not change. His character, what makes him who he is, does not change regardless of the culture or the millennia in which we see him interacting with humanity, he does not change. You know, a majority of the Bible, specifically the Old Testament and the Gospels, are what is referred to as a historical narrative, which simply means it describes God interacting with humanity at that time. Historians writing down what they saw God doing. Because God does not change, the way that we see him in Abraham's day is the way that he is in our day. So the month of October, we're two weeks into it, we're going to be looking at Abraham. Four weeks digging into this man's life with a specific interest in who God was and how he interacted with Abraham. You know, I encourage this last week as well. But focus in on who God is tonight from what we hear, what we read about, and how that relates to you, your view on life, and your view on other people. God does not change, so the God that we're about to look at is the God that we are in the midst of right now. So last week we looked at chapter 12 of Genesis, uh, where Abraham was called, and we see that God steps into Abraham's life promising him good things, including the thing that he could not provide for himself, but he truly desired a son. By doing this, God not only wants to make Abraham's life better, but ultimately, God wants to have a deep and genuine relationship with him. You know, I believe that this is God's end goal for all of human history, to restore all of humanity back to his original intention, 
as sons and daughters of the Most High. You know, we see that Abraham desires these good things, land, possessions, a large family, and so he leaves home and obeys God and lets it all go. And then we see that God begins to provide him with wealth and protection and even victory over kings. Right? Read through Genesis 12 through 22. That's Abraham's story. You'll see this. But we see that God holds back from the thing that Abraham deeply desires, the thing that seems to be impossible. You know, God has the ability to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's all-powerful. But holds back, I believe, because he desires Abraham to trust him. You know, trust is a foundational element of relationships. I happen to desire to want to figure out what trust means, so I Googled it. It simply means firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone. So when you trust someone, you have a firm belief that they are reliable, that what they are saying is true, that they have the ability or the strength to accomplish what they say they can do. But in Abraham's story, we see that he does not trust God yet. And we're going to be jumping into Genesis 15 to pick this up. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. I'm just going to call him Abraham. God changes his name like two chapters later. In a vision, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. You know, Abraham must have had some hope that there was a chance that he would have a son. Otherwise, why would he have left everything? But it seems that he did not genuinely trust in God's reliability the truth of his promise, or his ability or strength to accomplish it. This sort of doubt makes sense, right? In his culture and in ours, there was no logical way that Sarah, his wife, could have kids. You know, he's 75, 80 at this point. I don't know when they were able to have kids, 15, 20, who knows. But they've been trying for decades and decades to have kids. And now she's getting to the point where she's physically too old to bear children. And so for Abram, Abraham, it's starting to dawn on him that, man, maybe God is unable to do this. But what's beautiful is that even as Abraham doubts, God continues to interact with him. Let's go to verse 4 and 5. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to them, so shall your descendants be. You know, as you read about God speaking or showing things to people in the Bible or hearing stories, it very rarely seems to happen in the same way. You know, they use phrases like the word of the Lord. They talk about visions coming to them. God speaks through other people. It even says that he appears. And who knows how that looked when the word of the Lord came or he appeared to them, right? I'm guessing it varied uh, quite a bit. You know, when we look at how Jesus heals people, it is very rarely repeated in form. God is an anomaly when he interacts with individuals. And we know that God is sovereign. He's in control of all things, so he does this for a reason. You know, I'm sure there's 
others than this, but it seems like God's choice of how he presents himself has to do with who he is presenting to and what he wants him to know. You know, for Abraham, it seems like he needed a visual illustration of the extent of God's promise or needed to be placed in front of the beauty and the majesty of nature so he could be pulled away from his own logic and emotions and contemplate the power of his creator. As you all know, most likely, through this experience, Abraham believed the Lord. Let's go to verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned reckoned it to him as righteousness. In my opinion, this is one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. That's why we're going to spend a decent amount of time digging it apart. We will get to application, I promise, but there's just such good things in here if you want to know who God is. So at this point, Abraham decides that God is reliable. Remember the definition of trust. His promises are true and that God has the ability and strength to make them happen. Through trusting God, an incredible thing occurs. The Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is the profound concept we need to understand tonight. You know, in this moment, the nature of Abraham's relationship with God entirely changes. Instead of just being a creator in rebellion against his creator, he becomes a son of God. Let's pick this apart. So reckoned means credit, account, or impute. I didn't know what impute meant, so I had to look that up too. It means to represent as being possessed by someone. Right? So it's as if you give something to somebody. You credit their account. Or if you transfer the quality of one thing onto another thing, where they now own that. Righteousness means innocence. Or the state of not having any sin or its associated guilt according to a standard. Through Abraham's trusting in God, God removes the guilt of Abraham's rebellious actions. Let's pick that apart. What are rebellious actions? The times that Abraham trusted money, sex, power, the approval of others, etc., etc., for contentment and purpose instead of trusting the perfect God, his creator. In this moment of faith, Abraham is not only given total forgiveness from his sins, but even more, his heart, the core of who he is, is made pure by his creator. This should be a little bit mind-blowing, right? It's so hard to comprehend things on a spiritual level, but it's so applicable to us. In this newfound state of righteousness, Abraham's relationship with God has been restored, You want to know what salvation it is? It's the restoration of our relationship with our creator. Because Abraham has been freed from his sinful state, he is no longer separated from his perfect creator and is able to directly interact with the maker of everything. Honestly, this is the biblical definition of salvation. To be reconciled with your creator and have that sort of interaction that we long for, that we were made to have. You know, as proof of this new state of relationship, the next time the two interact, God himself appears to Abraham. Let's look at Genesis 17. If you wouldn't mind, Michael. Sorry. Bummer. Anybody got a Bible? 
Would you mind reading the first three verses of Genesis 17? So you notice Abraham's reaction in this interaction. What does he do? He falls flat on his face. Right? So this isn't a vision appearing to him. It's not the word of the Lord coming to him. But it's God in some form presenting himself directly before Abraham. This only comes through genuine relationship, which Abraham now has due to his decision to trust that God is good that he is reliable, faithful, powerful, better than anything else on this planet. All right. So as we already mentioned, God does not change. So what we see God doing to Abraham is what he is doing for us. You know, as we live this life, we are continually provided by the one who causes the sun to shine, who puts breath into our lungs and makes our heart pump life through our veins, the opportunity to trust him. You know, he causes the rain to fall so that we can put food on our table. The life we have today has been given to us. Right here, right now, this moment is a gift. This is proof that there is something bigger at play allowing this to happen. The Bible tells us that the one who provides us this life desires for us to have far more than the basics. He desires for us to have an abundant life, one that is brimming with contentment and purpose. The Bible, and in my opinion, logic, show that, we, that what we truly desire in this life can only come from our Creator. And that's what He wants us to have. Contentment and purpose. But to have it, we must enter into a relationship with Him, which stems out of our willingness to trust Him. To trust that He is real. That's the first one. Is there a God? To trust that He understands more than we do. Is he bigger, wiser than I am? Does he know more about what I need to do than I can comprehend in this moment? To trust that he is faithful to provide all that we deeply desire. Will God really bring me what I truly want, that contentment and that purpose? And just like Abraham, we doubt him. Whether it's his existence or his power or his wisdom or how we should live, we doubt and then choose to trust in other things like ourselves or our kids or spouse or our jobs or hobbies. Right? We believe that they, the things that are temporary and flawed, will provide us with genuine contentment and purpose. But just like Abraham, God does not let us go down without a fight. Instead, he continually steps into our lives in ways that relate to us our personality, our circumstances. And then I know there's stories in this room, but since I got the mic, I got to share one or two of mine, right? So when I, I suppose this was six, seven years ago, I was living in Hawaii and kind of pursuing what I truly desired at that time, my addictions of smoking weed and just kind of being mindless and wanting more of that sensory overload. And God started to step in my life once again, encouraging me to step back to him. And in my boldness, I said, you know what? If you want me to come back to you, I want somebody from my church to come and talk to me. 
Two weeks later, a woman that I had never met before came up to me and said, God is supposed to wanted me to tell you three profound words that changed my life. And another interaction about a year later, far more focused in on God. I feel like he's calling me to leave Hawaii, take my wife with me, which she did not want to do, and go to North Carolina and study the Bible for a year, just pull away. You know, and I just wasn't quite sure if it was what I was supposed to do. And so I'm sitting there watching Lost. Most of you probably have seen that show and know about it, right? And it was near the end, and they were kind of showing what was going on, this idea of, like, two brothers that controlled the island, and they, like, pulled people in for certain reasons, right? They, like, allowed people to be drawn in, that person specifically. And I remember walking outside and saying verbally, God, how come you never call me to do something specific? And in my head, as clear as it's ever been, I already have. So we see God in just these two situations speaking to me in the way that I wanted him to through a stranger at church and through pop TV. (laughs) Ways that I can relate to, ways that influence me in that moment. And I know we have more stories in here. But he does this so that we have another chance to recognize who he is, to see that he is real. Right, to have somebody come up to you and tell you that, that God wanted you to tell you that in a way that penetrates your soul, blow, blew me away and saying, man, there is something bigger at play here. But he also wants to see that he is powerful, that he understands the best ways for us to live. And then out of this, we trust him to decide that he is more worthy of our trust and our own logic and emotion than the people and the tangible things in this life that he is worth more than the things we see in front of us. You know, out of this decision, we are granted, excuse me, this decision to trust, we are granted the same thing that he gave to Abraham, righteousness. And if you want to read more about how this applies to us, read Romans 4. But we're just going to read three verses of it. Therefore, his faith, speaking of Abraham, was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. You've got to remember that to be reckoned righteous means that we have innocence assigned to us given to us, put onto us ourselves. It's not like there's an individual standing in front of us and they're saying, well, because you're next to that guy, I will give you innocence, right? It is upon us ourselves. No longer are our souls imperfect, but they have been made pure, spotless, without fault. You know, this has nothing to do with how Abraham chose to live through his actions Rather, it was given a gift due to his willingness to trust God. Nothing more. Read through Abraham's story if you doubt me. Right? The next thing that we see after chapter 15 when it's reckoned righteous is Abraham sleeping with his wife's maid in order to create an heir. Right? Abraham's life was not perfect by any means. But he was reckoned righteous as a gift due to his faith and faith alone. You know, our righteousness which is innocence on a cosmic scale, comes solely from God's grace and our choice to trust him to make us whole. It is not determined on how good we are and how many right choices we make. The fact that you came to church on a beautiful October evening has nothing to do with God's love for you. 
Rather, it is simply a gift to those who recognize God and his goodness and firmly believe in his reliability, truth, ability, or strength, right? The definition of trust. It is given to those who trust our creator. You know, but what's so beautiful is that God is not an accountant that can overlook a debt and falsely credit us with righteousness. He is not a judge that can free the guilty. He is just. We know what justice is all about. Think of a perfect, just judge. You know, that means that our righteousness had to be given to us from a legitimate source that willingly transferred our guilt for his innocence. You know, Abraham probably had no clue how this would be accomplished, but we do. Let's go back to Romans 4, please. The latter half of it will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, sins, rebellion against our creator, and was raised for our justification so that we could be reckoned righteous. This is the main reason God came to earth and interacted face-to-face with humanity, so that he could exchange his perfection for our faulty nature. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, God, the just judge, transferred our sin onto him so that our penalty would be paid. When he was raised, he was given new life, the same life that's been given to us. You know, we, we hear that. We, that's this kind of Christianese, right? To hear that God transferred his sins upon us. He died for our sins. His blood was shed. But we often stop there and we fail to figure out what that means, what the big equal sign is for that happening. With our sins accounted for and the newness of life given to our souls, our relationship with our creator, the one who made everything, has been redeemed. Just like Abraham, we are no longer separated from a perfect God. But the benefits, this side of the cross, far outweigh what Abraham got to experience. You know, if you read through those 10, 12 chapters of Genesis, you'll see that Abraham got to interact with God a handful of times. He's wandering around, following God's direction, and God shows up like every 10 to 15 years. And we're going to look a little bit more at that next week. But for us... When we believe in God, when we trust in his reliability, his power, his strength, his truth, then we receive the spirit of God himself. This is just mind-blowing to me. I don't know how anybody can truly comprehend this. The perfection that we have been given in the depths of our soul allows God himself to come and inhabit us. The creator of everything resides within those who choose to trust him for the impossible. Out of this new style of relationship, God is able to influence our minds and our emotions, bringing us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, those things that we truly desire. Right? Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Through this level of connection with our maker, he can guide us in our day-to-day lives far more than Abraham ever got to experience. I know this is a ton. This is like the whole of the Bible summarized. So I want to give you a wrap-up because I know you all get distracted probably far more than I do. 
God tracks us down and offers us what we genuinely desire but are unable to provide for ourselves. Through his persistent pursuit, he gives us constant opportunity to trust him and trust him again and again and again. Through this trust, we are reunited with our creator in ways that allow him to continually guide us to the best possible life. You know, whether you have trusted in God or not, whether you have been reckoned righteous or still in your own state, born state, recognizing that this is the God that created us is crucial. Understanding these character traits of an unchanging God, meditating upon them, living life out of this awareness will completely change your world. Pray with me. God, you are just so good and we are so grateful for that. Thank you for pursuing us, continually interacting with our minds, our souls, our brokenness, and bringing us into a better existence. Nothing else to say, but thank you for doing what you do. Amen.